Thank you for joining the Zen Care Podcast. These recorded Dharma talks are given freely to our community in the heart of New York City, which we are honored to now share with you. New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care is dedicated to transforming the nature of care through contemplative practice by meeting illness, aging, and death with compassion and wisdom. Learn about us at zencare.org. Fasten your seatbelts. <laughs> I am in a really pissy mood. And some of you may have experienced that in the last 24 hours. One minute, I'm up in the air, everything's hunky-dory, and the next minute, I just want to kill you. And myself, and everything around me. Just In a temple's main hall by Koun, Korean poet. Down with Buddha, down with handsome, well-fed Buddha. What's he doing up there with oh, that oh-so-casually elegant, wispy beard? Next, break down that painted whore of a crossbeam, a dragon's head. What use is that, a dragon's head? Tear down the temple, drive out the monks, turn it all into dust and maggots. <sighs> Buddha with nothing. That's real Buddha. Our foul-mouthed Soul Street market mother, she's real Buddha. We're all of us, Buddha, 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 Buddha. Real. Living Buddha, one single cigarette. Now that's real cool, holy Buddha. No, not that either. For even supposing this world were a piece of cake, with everyone living up, living it up and living well, in gorgeous high-class gear with lots of goods produced thanks to Korean-American technological collaboration, each one able to live freely with no robbing of rights, paradise even, paradise. Utter Eden, unequaled, plastered with jewels, still even then, day after day, people would have to change the world. Why, of course, in any case, Day after day, this world must be overturned and renewed to become a newly blooming lotus flower. And that is Buddha. Down for sure with those 1,500 years rolling on, foolish, rumbling along, time fast asleep like stagnant water that stinks and stinks. So what are we doing here? 
This was in the New York Times this morning. Notice the pushing down of emotions. Nationwide raids to arrest thousands of members of undocumented Nationwide raids to arouse to arrest thousands of members of undocumented families have been scheduled to begin on Sunday. According to two current and one former Homeland Security official, moving forward with a rapidly changing operation, the final details of which remain in flux. The operation, backed by President Trump, had been postponed, partly because of resistance among officials at his own immigration agency. The raids will be conducted by Immigration and Customs Enforcement over multiple days, which will include collateral deportations. According to the officials who spoke on the condition of anonymity, because of the preliminary stage of the operation, in those deportations, the authorities might detain immigrants who happen to be on the scene, even though they are not targets of the raids. When possible, family members who are arrested together will be held in family detention centers in Texas and Pennsylvania. That's not how I was going to start the talk. That was going to be the end of my talk, because I figured I might get emotional, but there is the beginning. It gets better. Don't worry, I just need to cut myself for a moment. So this is how it was going to start. Maha Prajna Paramita Sutra Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva doing the Prajna Paramita clearly saw the 
Of all the five conditions thus completely relieving misfortune and pain. The earliest surviving version of the Heart Sutra is a stone steel dated to 661, located at Yunju Temple in China. It's about 75 kilometers south of Beijing. While the origin of the stone is disputed, it, is widely known in, in, it was widely known in India around 750 to 1200 in the Common Era where it played a huge role, important role, in uh, Vajrayana Buddhism. The Heart Sutra is the single most commonly recited, copied, and studied scripture in Eastern Asian Buddhism. Why is it called the Heart Sutra? Karl Brunhutzel from the Bodhilanda uh, school wrote a piece in Lion's Roar uh, about two years ago. And this is just a few lines. It has that name because it teaches the heart of Mahayana, primarily in terms of the view. However, the basic motivation of the Mahayana is also implicitly contained in this sutra in the form of Avalokiteshvara. the great bodhisattva who is the embodiment of the loving-kindness and compassion of all Buddhas. It is actually the only Prajnaparamita Sutra in which Avalokiteshvara appears. In it, he, she, they, is even the main speaker. Thus, the Heart Sutra teaches emptiness through the epitome of compassion. It is often said that, in a sense, emptiness is the heart of the Mahayana. Remember, this is, we are in the Mahayana tradition. This is our tradition, the Mahayana tradition. It is often said that, in a sense, emptiness is the heart of the Mahayana, but the heart of emptiness is compassion. The scriptures even use the phrase, emptiness with a heart of compassion emptiness with a heart of compassion. It is crucial to never forget that.
So that version of the Heart Sutra was recorded in Kyoto in 2018. So the Heart Sutra has been chanted over and over and over and over again for the last 1400 years, at least, that we know of. That is by uh, a young priest, a Zen priest, Kanho Yakushiji. And he has a, a little folk group. And he and uh, his band play in concert halls and temples around Kyoto. And uh, his um, hometown, maybe uh, Ki uh, Shishin will know this, is uh, in Ehimi Prefecture on the island of Shikoku. So he's from Shikoku. And now he's here at Garrison Institute. Imagine from Bihar in India to Kyoto to Garrison Institute. That's why we're here. This is why we're here, to remember, to embody, to think about someone outside of me. So we're here on session to touch the heart-mind. We've been sitting, walking, eating, pretty much doing everything in silence for the past week in order to drop into quiet mind, to not indulge in our usual habitual patterns, running around, keeping busy, losing ourselves on our devices. We've been here to touch into the body-mind, to notice the thoughts that are continuously arising, distracting us, keeping us from discovering our true nature, down there in there somewhere out there somewhere. Some of you may have already packed your suitcases to go home tomorrow. Right? You're already leaving in your mind. You've left. Pack that so I can get out of here as soon as everything's over. <laughs> On the highway, beat the traffic. Wow. What a waste of your time and your money. It's not cheap to stay here in this place. Why waste a single moment or a single cent? There's so much to gain from being here, wholeheartedly. 
so much to lose by packing your bags and going home in your mind. What's the point of that? So I'm inviting you to stay here with Dayen and Koshin and Shinzan and myself and the three beautiful men who are receiving the precepts tomorrow. And for each and every one of you to stay here, for each and every one of you. I know for some of you, this is your first experience being at a Zen retreat. And that there are elements that you have not experienced, experienced on other kinds of retreats. And for some, it's been a challenge. The liturgy, you know, these services three times a day before meals. These robes, the chanting, the bowing. And then there's that stick. That stick that is so innocently, it's called the awakening stick, to wake us up. That's all it's meant to do. It's not there to punish. And yet it's so loaded in our culture. And Understandably, I'm not diminishing anyone's feelings. I have my own feelings around it, for sure. But this also has been passed down for centuries in monasteries throughout Japan. It was meant to wake up the, the monks who were falling asleep, sitting for hours. It's just whoosh. It wasn't a question of do you want to receive the wake-up stick? It was whack, whack, whack to every shoulder in the room. And as I said, you know, I don't want to diminish that. For some people it is a traumatic experience to hear that sound. But it's also a moment, opportunity to, to think of something in a different way. to be curious. And if not, that's okay too. But to understand the reason behind it. It's actually a very loving thing to do. It's to, to wake us up. Like chanting the Heart Sutra, these elements have been as I said, passed down for centuries in Zen schools. And some in varying degrees, depending on the, on the culture, the school, the Rinzai, Soto, depending on the teacher. So much stuff added on. Paradoxically, 
the Zen teacher Norman Fisher outlines the characteristics of Zen as a stripped down, determined, uncompromising, cut to the chase meditation based on Buddhism that takes no interest in doctrinal refinements, not relying on scripture, doctrine, or ritual. At the very core of Zen, that's all there is. All the other stuff is fluff, it's all added on. Right? Can you see that? Can you see that it's not that that's important? And we make such a big thing out of it. I hate standing for 10 minutes. I hate standing online while everybody gets their dishes. Why can't we just sit at the table and eat? It's the form. Not every temple will use it. Not every retreat center will use it. It's what we use. It's just nonsense. But there's a reason for it. It's to keep us here. To notice our preferences, our likes, our dislikes. Can we just be part of it all? Although Zen Buddhism eventually developed traditions of study and ritual, its emphasis on personal experience has always made it a practice-oriented tradition. The practice is meditation, sitting Zen, Zazen, seated Zen. That's the heart of the practice, just sitting. Some of us can sit on cushions, chairs, However we do it, if we do it wholeheartedly, the intention of realizing ourselves in this world, in this lifetime, we have a choice. You know, we can sit in chairs, we're very lucky. If you were to join us, the New York Zen Center, for another retreat, say the one in October, this is our contemplative care retreat, it's very, very different. We don't have all this chanting, and we don't have all these rituals. There are a number of them, but it's much different. It's much less, uh, I don't want to use the word strict, but it's much less formal. So you don't get all the extra stuff, but you are still expected to commit to sit to your practice. So if you like us as a community, then come back in October and join us for a different retreat. So here's a heads up. This evening there will be uh, another ceremony that we haven't done yet. It's usually done on the full moon, and it's the verse, it's the ceremony of atonement. And uh, it's actually a very, very beautiful ceremony. 
And uh, there's a lot of bowing, a lot of bowing. Um, so if you're not comfortable or it's not comfortable to do full bows, please know that standing bows are perfectly fine. It's not the, the bowing that is so important, it's the intention you put into how you bow. If you bow, throw yourself onto the ground. Or if you can just bend, but the commitment, the intention, where the ceremony is about embodying the bodhisattvas, all the bodhisattvas. We recite their names. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful um, ceremony this evening. Um, as I said, it's usually done once a month at the full moon. We don't have that, but we do it the, the evening prior to Jukai ceremony tomorrow. So, um, remain open. Remain open. In doing fusatsu, we acknowledge the truth of suffering caused by our own ignorant views of ourselves as separate from the world we inhabit. That's not in the New York Times this morning. In doing fusatsu, we acknowledge the truth of suffering caused by our own ignorant view of ourselves. As separate from the world we inhabit. We atone for the beginningless greed and the anger that arise because of it. This purification, this purification ceremony, repairs wholeness and restores harmony. Just remember this this evening. When you're atoning, it's not just about you. You're not separate from anyone. You're atoning for everyone, all their sins. As hard as that may be to take on, everybody's unskillful behavior. Your past ancestors, the people in our lives right now, the people on this planet, in this country, we're atoning for them too. Can you do that? It's the chant that we chant each morning. All evil karma ever committed by me since of old, on account of my beginningless greed, anger, and ignorance, born of my body, mouth, and thought, now I atone for it all. I atone for it all. But not just for me, all my past ancestors. Simply allow yourself to fully participate in the ceremony this evening, in the rest of the session, the last few hours that we have to be together in this format, in this way. This will never happen again. This is what we have right now. Whether you love it or hate it, you're not going to feel the same way again, ever. 
And then the second of the final two ceremonies comes tomorrow. It's the ceremony in which we welcome three new Buddhas into the community. Although we are all Buddha, we recognize the three new Buddhas. Uh, David and Alex and Michael, who have spent the last year studying the precepts. And we'll speak tomorrow on that, more on that tomorrow. But just to know it's a very special moment for each of them. And by the way, they get to do a lot of bowing tomorrow. And we don't. We just watch. So there'll be a number of guests arriving to celebrate them. And then we'll have a nice lunch. We'll get to talk to each other. If you haven't been talking this week, <laughs> you'll get to talk in a new way if you have. You'll get to talk not illicitly, but with great freedom and invitation. You get to talk and schmooze tomorrow. So please take care of each other today, this evening, tomorrow. Apropos of nothing, because I went off on that ice piece which really got me rattled. Um, I'm going to end with on a little up note. So actually there are three Zen teachers that I like a lot now. Zen Master Raven, Jomni, thank you Alex, and my old favorite, Winnie the Pooh. It's a very important teaching. So just as you, hear, as you hear this little snippet, think of what's happening in our country on Sunday. Rabbit's clever, said Pooh thoughtfully. Yes, said Piglet, Rabbit's clever. And he has a brain. Yes, said Piglet, Rabbit has a brain. There was a long silence. I suppose, said Pooh, that's why he never understands anything. 